Amen. Well, good morning. Okay, that was beautiful. Wow. Loved it. Yeah. I want to say thank you to Emily, really, and to all our team uh, this morning. Uh, we are without our fearless leader, Ryan Brasington, today. We just thought it would be good for he and his family to quarantine, and uh, they're doing okay. They're fine. Please don't blow his phone up now. <laughs> he would love that. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's amazing to see you know, the gifted people that God has given to us and, um, and really the great job that Ryan has done, I think, just developing an incredible team. And so they're able to just kind of come up and, yeah, agreed. They're able to come up, and it's, it's virtually seamless, and so that's, that's really something. But it is great to see you guys. It's, it's wonderful to see those of you who are here. I know we've got a bunch of folks out there and watching in your living room or wherever it is that we're coming to you from, and um, so it's great to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, we have been talking about the fact that our God is a breakthrough God and that Christmas settles it. That's it. It's like Christmas. Yep, he is. He is a God who breaks through into real space, into real time, into this real world, into our real lives, and the reality that he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, and on Christmas, entered into this world as one of us, settles that for forever. So today what we're going to do is we are going to look at the birth narrative of Jesus, but I'm going to read it to you from a different book, and I don't want that to unsettle you, like if you're thinking I've abandoned the Bible or anything, it's exactly the opposite of what I've done, but I'm going to read an account from a book called Intimate Moments with the Savior, and it's written by a pastor whose name is Ken Geyer. And the reason that I have it up on the screen is because if I don't, then I'm going to get a bunch of text messages and emails because you're all going to want to go buy this book after it's over. But here's what Pastor Geyer does. He goes to the Bible, and he's very faithful to the text. And he goes to history, and he studies it, and he studies archaeology, and he brings it all together. And then with a great mind and imagination, he imagines what it was like what it looked like, what it smelled like, what it felt like, what the people who were there were like, and how they felt in the moment. And it's beautiful. It's real, is what it is. And so I want you to use something that maybe you haven't used in a while. That is your imagination. Like if you're a kid, you have no problem with this. You know, all the kids on the couch, you're like, right on. I'm, you know, like that's where I live and that's wonderful. I wish I could go back to that a lot of days, okay? But those of you who have been living in the real world and have a real God who really breaks through, dust your imagination off. See this in your mind and feel this in your heart if you would. It's a story It begins with a census. Don't forget that. For the census, the royal family has had to travel 85 miles. Joseph walks while Mary, nine months pregnant, rides side saddle on a donkey, feeling every jolt, every rut, every rock in the road. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from an influx of travelers. The inn is packed, people feeling lucky if they were able to negotiate even a small space on the floor. And of course, now it's late and everyone is asleep and there is no room. But fortunately, the innkeeper is not all shekels and mites. True, his stable is crowded with his guest's animals. But if they could squeeze out a little privacy there, well, then they were welcome to it. Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrated on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he tells the innkeeper without hesitation. And the night is still when Joseph creaks open the stable door. As he does, a chorus of barn animals make discordant note of the intrusion. The stench is pungent and humid, as there have not been enough hours in the day to tend to the guests, let alone to the livestock. 
A small oil lamp lent them by the innkeeper flickers to dance shadows on the wall, a disquieting place and for a woman in the throes of childbirth. Far from home, far from family, very, very far from what she had expected for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint. Frankly, it's a relief for her to just get off the donkey. She sits and leans back against the wall, her feet swollen, her back aching, her contractions growing stronger and closer together. Meanwhile, Joseph's eyes dart around the stable, not a minute to lose. Quickly, a feeding trough would have to make do for a crib. Hay would serve as a mattress. Blankets, blankets. Ah, his robe, that would do. And those rags hung out to dry over there. They would help. A gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends him racing for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy, either for the mother or for the child, for every royal privilege for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of that holy and silent night, and Joseph returns breathless, water sloshing from the wooden bucket, just in time to see the top of the baby's head pushing its way out into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all Judea, rushes to her side. However, the involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all her strength, almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Elongated head from the constricting journey through the birth canal. Light skin as the pigment would take days or even weeks to surface. Mucus in his ears and nostrils, wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid, the son of the Most High God, umbilically tied to a lowly Jewish girl. The baby chokes and coughs, and Joseph instinctively turns him over and clears his throat. And then he cries. And Mary bares her breast and reaches for the shivering baby. She lays him on, his, on her chest, and his helpless cries subside as his tiny head bobs around on the unfamiliar terrain. This will be the first thing the infant king learns, and Mary can feel his racing heartbeat as he gropes to nurse, deity nursing from a young maiden's breast. Could anything be more puzzling or more profound? Meanwhile, Joseph sits exhausted, silent, full of wonder. Until the baby finishes in size, the divine word reduced to a few unintelligible sounds. And then for the first time, his eyes fix upon his mother's deity, straining to focus, the light of the world squinting. Tears pool in her eyes as she touches his tiny hand, and hands that once sculpted mountain ranges cling to her finger. She looks up at Joseph, and through a watery veil, their souls touch. He crowds closer cheek to cheek with his betrothed, and together they stare in awe at the baby Jesus, whose heavy eyelids begin to close, for after all, it has been a long journey, and the king is tired. And so, with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity, without protocol and without pretension. Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. Where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys and a few haltered cows, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel, and a furtive scurry of curious barn mice. Except for Joseph, there was no one to share Mary's pain or to share Mary's joy. 
Yes, there were angels announcing the Savior's arrival, but only to a band of blue-collared shepherds. And yes, a magnificent star shone in the sky to mark his birthplace, but only three foreigners bothered to look up and follow it. And so it is that thus in the little town of Bethlehem, that one holy and silent night, the royal birth of God's Son tiptoed quietly by as the world slept. It's real. Real God. Real world. Real people. And he's come to change your real life. So here's the question I want us to consider as we think about this story of the birth of Jesus. I want us to go, okay, so this is a breakthrough. This is the breakthrough of all breakthroughs. Can we agree on that? What do we learn from this breakthrough? And there are probably like a thousand different things, maybe a hundred thousand different things. I'm going to give you three. The first thing that we learn is that our God, this God that we belong to through faith in Jesus, is a God who is in charge of absolutely everything and everyone and more than that. He is a God who is ever and always enfolding even the most disrupting, even the most confusing details of our lives into a beautiful story that he's putting together. It's remarkable, and it's all here. Guys, this whole story, as I said at the beginning, starts with a census. That's what kicks off the entirety of the birth narrative of Jesus. It's a census that is decreed and declared by the emperor of Rome, and it has, however, only one purpose, and curiously, it's not the purpose for which he's decreed it. It is the purpose for which Almighty God, who is in charge of even the most powerful man in the world in that moment, decreed it through him. The emperor's name was Caesar Augustus. Actually, his name was Octavian. What's fascinating is that the Roman Senate came along and they conferred the name Augustus upon him. Augustus means honored one or revered one, or really it means majestic one. And what's interesting about that is that prior to Caesar Augustus having that name applied to him, that was a name that was reserved only for use with the gods. That's it. Archaeologists have found inscriptions about Caesar Augustus that refer to him as a son of a God, that refer to him as the savior of the world. He was a man of vision. He came with a new world order. Don't miss that. And he had a title for his new world order. It was called the gospel. That was the title. As of the date of the story of the birth of Jesus, okay, The birth date of Caesar Augustus divided the annual calendar in half. Like it marked the end of the year and it marked the beginning of the year. Year after year after year after year after year after year. Our God is a God who is in charge of absolutely everything and everyone. He uses Caesar Augustus to declare a census and we'll see why in a second. But he so orchestrates all of the circumstances of this man's life as to be for and to prepare the way for the birth of Jesus, introduce into that culture ideas and categories of thought that people would then be able to use in order to identify with the true Son of God, with the true Savior of the world, the one whose gospel brings not just a new world order, but in the end a whole new world, and whose birthday divides not the annual calendar, but the entirety of history into B.C. and A.D., We look at our world and we're like, what in the world is going on? God's like, hey man, this is happening exactly as I've defined it and designed it. This is is what I want. So the Lord moves upon the heart of Octavian. He declares a census that disrupts the entire then known world. How? Why? Well, it causes everyone to go from wherever it is that they're living in that particular moment to the hometown of their ancestral roots, which, by the way, for Joseph and Mary, 
was Bethlehem. Now, why is that significant? Octavian decrees this thing, thinking that this is going to be helpful to collecting tax revenue for him, and it is, thinking that this is going to be helpful in getting people to enlist in his army, and it is, but God has him decree it because 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Micah had said that Jesus would be born in the city of Bethlehem, and apparently Mary and Joseph didn't know this because they had no plans to go until the census comes. And then this story kicks into place. Everything moves into action. Our God is a God who is in charge of everything and everyone and who is unfolding even the most disrupting, even the most disconcerting, even the most confusing circumstances of our lives into his beautiful plan, which we can see, but they couldn't. And I think that's an important point. Like, we look at this story today and we're like, oh, the census, it makes perfect sense. You know, it's absolutely beautiful. We can connect all of the dots. Why? Because we're looking at a completed picture. They weren't looking at a completed picture. They were just living it out moment by moment, which is how all of us live life, isn't it? I mean, we see the past. Now, we see it skewed through our own perspective, but we got that. We see the present as we receive it moment by moment by moment. We project into the future and we make plans for the future and that's smart to do. It's intelligent, it's wise, it's all of those things. But we're not guaranteed the future, are we? All we really know is this moment. And so it is with them. I mean, this census comes down. We're like, yes, the census. It makes it so much more beautiful. Look at the power of God. He's controlling everything. They're like, what are you kidding me? Now I've got my nine-month pregnant wife, and she's going to have to get on a donkey, and she's going to ride 85 miles, like on her due date? This is crazy. We're going to go to the city of Bethlehem. We have no relatives there anymore. We know no one there anymore. How do you know that? Because they slept in a barn. No one welcomed them into their house. We're going to show up at the same time as everyone else who traces their ancestral roots to this town in a day and in an age when you couldn't, you know, get online and Priceline a room, like you couldn't make reservations. And by the way, how much do you think the rooms cost? Because these people are poor. This is a disaster from their perspective. And the son of God is going to be born in a barn. Wow. beautiful. Now. The picture isn't done yet. Not for me and not for you. Not for us. But the story is calling us to say, you know, but nevertheless, you've got a God who's in charge of everything and everyone. You know that, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's story after story in the Bible. That's story after story in this room as you look back on some of the completed pictures of some of the seasons and events of your life. He's enfolding even the most disruptive things, even the most confusing and hurtful, into a beautiful story. He's like, listen, just trust me with the picture, okay? Just walk in faith. Trust me with the picture. So that's the first thing that we find as we look at this story. But I think the second thing is that our God is a God who is pleased to be born in the most lowly of places. That's significant to me too. You know, he's born in a stable. And look, the stable that he's born into, all right, wasn't some freestanding barn, you know, like you see in rural Georgia or something. I mean, it, the stable that he was born into was a cave. When you go to Bethlehem today, I've been there several times, okay? You can go to the shepherd's caves. It's one of my favorite places to go. You can go to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, and underneath it, there is a cave complex. You can go down into the cave complex underneath the church. You realize these people didn't build barns. They just looked for a cave and then put a gate in front of the opening and used that 
to store all of their animals or whatever else it was that they needed to safeguard day by day and night by night. Great idea. But it's dirty. It's full of slop. It's full of manure. It's full of flies and stink. It's everything we just read about and a hundred times more. And good grief, the manger that they take Jesus and they put him into. Okay, this isn't some sterile plastic thing like, you know, maybe you have in your front yard or maybe your neighbor has out. Like it, this isn't, it isn't one of these wood boxes, you know, with the cross legs and it's kind of a nice wood box on the top with fresh, clean hay. Like there are like mangers that I'd like to take a nap in, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's not what we're dealing with here. What we're dealing with, and when you go to Megiddo there in the Holy Land, you can see it. Many of you have seen it. They're stone containers, they're feeding troughs hewn out of solid rock that the animals ate their food out of. And nobody was too, you know, excited about cleaning. It has no drain in the bottom, nothing drains out. These people didn't have Clorox wipes, you know, they can't sanitize this for the baby. They put him there. Confusing for sure to them, I would think really beautiful from our perspective because we step back from it today and we can go, man, you know what? That, that stone container, that, that cave, that stable with all that stuff, that's me. You know, I mean, there's the good and the bad and the ugly too. Is it not you? There's that which is tame and that which is not tame, very much undomesticated. There's the manure, there's the flies, there's the It's like from the beginning, God is coming to us, to the world, and he's going, please understand, I have come for you. I'm pleased to be born, not in a perfect place, not in a high holy place, but I'm pleased to be born in you. And my very presence takes the stable of your heart and makes it into a cathedral, which is good news, by the way. And that's the third point, which is that the good news of our God is not meant to be kept to ourselves. I think that's a point best made through the example of the shepherds, which we don't read about in Pastor Geyer's account, but instead that Luke gives us in the Bible. What happens? We saw it in the video that opened the service. The angels come to the shepherds. They appear to them. We bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you shall find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. What's so significant about the appearance to the shepherds? The shepherds were understood in that culture to be the most morally repugnant of people. Think about that. God's like, listen, I'm coming into the world. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be born in a stable. Hey, you know what? I've come into the world, and I'm going to announce it to shepherds. He's calling us in. He's like, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you're like. I'm Actually, he does. But you get the idea, like, I have come for you. I've come for you. What do the shepherds do? They're transformed. They go. Luke says in chapter 2, verse 16, that they then went with haste. Like, they're like, no, just drop everything. We're out of here. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw Jesus, they made known the saying that had been told them by the angels concerning this child. And all who heard it, Mary, Joseph, anyone in town who was willing to listen, 
They went about speaking about it. That's the idea. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned to their sheepfolds, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them the end of this part of the Christmas story. But what do we learn from the breakthrough? We learn that our God is a God. Your God, if you have faith in Jesus, is a God who's in charge of everything and everyone, even when it doesn't look like it. And it doesn't at times. In fact, a lot of times. But it's faith. It's seeing the unseen. It's believing contrary to the circumstances that God introduces into your life, both to challenge and to grow your faith. God is a God who is in charge of everything and everyone, and he is enfolding even the most disrupting and concerning and confusing circumstances of our lives into a story that when we see it and it's complete, we will forever praise him for. Every brushstroke, every little detail is beautiful in the end. So what do you need to give to him? What's the disruption? What's the thing that you've been resenting? What's the thing that you've been fighting? What's the, what's the thing that's gotten you down? Can you just take that and entrust it to God and say, look, you know, I, I, the picture doesn't look so great to me right now. I'm not going to lie, but, but you only paint beautiful pictures. So walk with me in this, and, and I'm going to trust you with it. Secondly, we learn that our God is a God who is pleased to be born in the most lowly of places. And this Christ child who comes into the world, who then lives a perfectly holy life, lays it down as a sacrifice for all of our unholiness. By the pure one, we are made pure. By the holy one, we are made holy. By the righteous one, we are made righteous. He makes us what we are not. He takes the stable and he makes it the cathedral. And all you have to do is come and bring yourself to him and ask him to do it. And he will. And then lastly, the good news of our God is not meant to be kept to ourselves. So the last question that I've got for you then, I guess, is just who do you need to share Jesus with this Christmas? And I want to tell you a little bit about how church works Because here's how it doesn't work. It doesn't work, hey, Tom, I'm a part of the church and I support you guys. Now you guys go reach my friends and you guys reach my family and reach the people I work with and reach the community and reach the city we're trying. But the way that the church works is that we equip you to do that. And then we give you opportunities and resources to do it with. We talk a lot about Alpha here at this church on purpose because Alpha is a great opportunity for you to do exactly that. Friends, family members, folks you work with, whatever. Alpha is this amazingly safe place for you to invite your friends into, a place of no pressure, a place of no, we're not going to try to, you know, argue with you. We're not going to, it's a place where they can do something they can't do anywhere else, which is consider the big issues of life and come at it, yes, from a Christian perspective, but be able to bring their perspective and voice that and share that safely. What's interesting about Alpha is every time we get to the end of it, we have people who become Christians and some who do not. But even the ones who do not are like, do we have to stop meeting? Because this is awesome. I don't have any other place in my life that I go and I get this. Invite your friends to Alpha. It starts January 14. And then Christmas Eve. You know, as Winston talked about, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you bring your family and friends. That would be awesome. You have to pre-register. We do have child care, as he said. 4 o'clock is sold out, although you don't have to buy a ticket, but you get the idea. 
So come at 6, but we have also pre-recorded the service for you to use at your home or wherever it is that you want to use it and to share with people. You can just send them the link and go, hey, you know what, I would have invited you to church this year, but it's 2020, so it's super weird, and I just can't do it. But I thought you might enjoy this. Let's talk afterwards. Simple, easy ways to take the good news of Jesus and to declare it to the world. So God's in charge of everything, and he's enfolding everything, even the crazy stuff, into a beautiful picture. The call for us is to trust him. God is pleased to be born in the most lowly of places. Even in us, the call to us is to surrender to him. And guys, that's good news that we can't keep to ourselves. It's meant to be shared. So the challenge to us is to share him. Okay? So go share him this week, maybe even today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are real. God, that we experience the reality of you by your spirit and together with your people. Lord, as we open your word, we hear a voice, then it's a voice that is real. God, as we consider the truths of your word, we we realize that it's the truth of a being who is real. And we need real. We long for real. We want that which is real. So, Lord, impress upon us your goodness and your wisdom. God, undo us by the might of your power and the circumstances of our lives that you designed to bring us to humility oftentimes, that we might humbly offer ourselves to you. Lord, take us as we are, stable with whatever's in there. And by the power of your gospel, make us clean. Forgive our sins and receive us as your children because of the work of Jesus for us. God, we receive that. We want that. We cherish that. We need that. And now, by your Spirit, send us out. Not as those who have come to receive for ourselves, but as those who have come to receive for the sake of the world. Send us out now into our homes and into our offices and into our workplace, whatever, into our neighborhoods, schools. Send us out, Lord, as those who realize, you know what, the good news is too good to keep it to ourselves. Do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.